because people will say, oh, there's all these awful things in the Bible. Like, yeah, because it's telling the truth. Adventure through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today, we've got Eric. Hello. <laughs> we've got Tracy. Morning. <laughs> we've got Karen. Hey, guys. Oh, listening friends, if you had any idea what the what the morning has been like for us trying to record this episode so far. It has been an adventure. I guess it suits the name of the podcast because it has been an adventure. It started from alarms not going off to wake us up in time. It's been it's been hardware not wanting to work right. It's been uh, oh, you name it. Things have just been so weird. I forgot to push the button again, but fortunately, my team is uh, jumping on me about two seconds into it. So, um, so we're good on that on that score. I think we got some uh, good uh, information or material for our blooper reel. <laughs> if I had recorded it, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I have a feeling we are sort of being attacked here today because this is episode 50, you guys. Wow. Wow. That means... That means we've been doing this for almost a year. I mean, we've been recording for a year, but we didn't start we didn't start um, putting stuff up until January. But uh, you know, and that includes a couple of special episodes and whatnot. But this is episode fifty. So does, um, does that mean that does that mean that somebody bought me something gold? Because um, I think isn't that the traditional gift on the fiftieth something or other? Uh, I've got an add a girl for you. Oh, fine. Hmm. <laughs> No, you but... can have all the gold I own, Karen. How about that? <laughs> it was the only angle I had. You know, I could I, I I would have actually had something for her a while back, but I had a I had a gold crown removed, and and uh, yeah, I'm I'm bionic now. I've got an implant now instead of a gold crown, so I can't even give you that, Karen. Sorry, you can't have my tooth. <laughs> Well, folks, it has been an interesting time. Uh, Karen said we could share this a little bit, and I'll let her give more details if she wants. But she had a surgery this week on her ear. She's had struggles with her ear over time, and we honestly didn't know she'd be on the on the podcast today. But uh, she's triumphant and valiant, and and she's here with us today. Uh, but we'd like to raise it up to you, folks, to pray for her recovery on this, and and um, you know, whenever you're hearing this, because God exists outside of space and time, so. Uh, anytime you feel like putting up a, a prayer for her, I'm sure she would be very appreciative of that. She would be. I'm uh, getting text that I don't need to listen to right now. So, yeah, now, the episode 50. The other thing about this is it's this is going to be posting right at the end. This would be the last episode of the year if you, if you listen uh, when they land. Um, so I thought we'd look back maybe just very briefly here. And look at some of the triumphs that we've seen over the year. It has been a terrible year. I don't think anybody's going to uh, going to argue that otherwise. But some of the triumphs that we've had over the over the past year. And I'll start here with you know the podcast going 50 episodes. That's pretty awesome. I saw a statistic somewhere that said that 
most podcasts don't make it past 10. So that either means we're stubborn or we're successful. So I don't know. We're bored. We could just be bored. <laughs> we were <just> bored. Consistent <laughs> group. <laughs> I'm going to say it's more than that because we get up and start this recording at 7 a.m. on Saturday morning. Yeah. It's 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 more than that because just because what would you rather be doing? I mean, this we, we want to be doing this. We yeah. want to be doing this. Yeah. Saturday morning is uh, you used to be my sleep in just a little bit day. And uh, not so much anymore. <laughs> the sun, I don't even think the sun's up yet, you guys. Yeah, so anyway, that's one triumph that I saw this this year. Uh, we saw the triumph of my wife getting beating cancer this year. So that was a big one. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, awesome. And, uh, so, yeah, that those are probably the biggest ones going on in my life right now. How about uh, how about you guys? How about you, Eric? Uh, I didn't give any warning on this. Yeah, so. that's fine. I, I think that um, for me... It's been, I mean, career-wise, I'm, I'm shifting gears that I wouldn't have done otherwise and uh, making a, a, a shifting weight. I always, always kind of messed around with real estate just a little bit and now shifting weight more actively into that. Wouldn't have happened otherwise. I had all this free time on my hands. I'm like, hey, cool, I'll study uh, real estate investing. Something more enduring than that has been the realization like in a real, super tangible way of my reliance on God and his, his very real but supernatural um, hand in the world and in my life and how really, like Israel fleeing Egypt, my life is. Is I may be thinking like, oh yeah, I kind of got this, I got this. And then so many times throughout 2020 reminded, no, all the things that you think you could lean on, that you... They could just disappear overnight with no warning. And that's been, I think, uh, it's been a scary thing. I know that. But it's been a good thing to be reminded that I'm I'm just like these people that we're talking about here in the Old Testament that are absolutely, completely, and totally reliant on God. Or we can go the way that we're reading in Judges. We can all just kind of do our own thing. And... As we're reading through this, when, when people do their own thing, myself included, it doesn't go well. And it it's can be hard going with God. I mean, spoiler alert, there the Hebrews get into, you know, captivity and some of the even the great good ones are thrown into a fiery furnace. But, um, but the God will be with us, but we need to be looking for him to be leading in our lives. And, and that's, been a, that's been a thing for me this year, a, a kind of a level of growth and realization that I 100% need to lean on him and 0% on myself. Yeah, I hear that. How about you, Tracy? You know, I think it's just 2020 has been one of those years that it's just, it's going to be one of those, um, we were talking about it before, like a memorial stone where a lot of things have changed, being able to, to jump into the word like we have, like you said, over you know, our journey of 50 episodes now, I think I've got a better understanding of, of the word and I got a different perspective on the word and I think it's helped my relationship. But, you know, as, as that memorial stone goes, you know, family's health, the, you know, seeing patients in and out and seeing the, the ravages of, of coronavirus and, has just been one of those things that it's it's definitely taught me a lot 
and I think it's going to go with me forever. You know, and I, I, I hope it's a positive way. You know, we've seen some some things that within our own family that that are kind of you can see how the world just kind of gets away from you at times. You know, we've been a lot closer to my family, my parents, where you just take things for granted. You think things are going well and then you discover some things that it's like, you know what, we need to pull closer together as a family. So I would say if there's any blessing in 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 2020 and and coronavirus or COVID is that it really brought my family, my extended family, a lot closer together. Yeah, that's good stuff. Karen? I think mine, I think mine has been more along the lines of what Eric said. Um, So I'm a, I'm a planner and I'm a, I'm a doer and, and I, and it's easy for me, apparently, to lean on that so much that I am shocked and horrified when I find out that that isn't the overarching plan for the world, shall we say? Hmm. So, and, and, and like, like distressing, like, but I did everything I could. Where's, where's my result, right? And over the last couple of weeks, I've been writing this Christmas sermon. And one of the, one of the passages that I, that I talked about in it is in James 4, starting in verse 13. Um, now listen, you who say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know? Uh, let's see. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. So it's it's one thing to try to be a self-sufficient, responsible human being. But I have found myself surprisingly devastated when the two biggest things I had going in my life have both screeched to a halt and I have nothing like devastated. So that has been my big lesson for the year. Um, It hasn't been fun. It still isn't fun. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, But that's that's all I've got. All I've got left is God. Yeah. And folks, I would like to just briefly before we get going here encourage our listeners to consider that the change of the year is not necessarily going to change all of our fortunes i hear i've been hearing all year long i can't wait for 2020 to be over so that this will all go away and you know we hear the same thing every year it's like oh this year was so terrible i can't wait for it to be over and start a new year folks just prepare yourself mentally the january 1st does not change everything you know and not not you know i don't want to be the debbie downer necessarily it doesn't mean that things can't look up and can't go can't get better but um don't expect everything to just change overnight because the ball drops in times square so anyway looking forward uh now as we get into our discussion today i want to give a little uh i guess disclaimer just a a heads up for our listeners, that today we're going to be dealing with some subject matter that is, uh, it can be very disturbing, it's very dark, it's things that are of a very adult nature, and uh, you just might want to 
be aware of that. If you haven't read the story already, it's um, that we'll be getting to in chapter um, Judges, ni- chapter nineteen. Nineteen. Yeah. Uh, it, it's uh, if you've never heard the story before, it will, it will probably be shocking. It's one of the most. It was one of the most shocking things I ever read in the Bible. So just uh, be aware of that moving forward here today. I mean, we will try to deal with it as as uh, delicately as, as possible, I suppose. But you, we can't change the facts of of what's written down there in the Bible. So, so we're going to talk. We, we're going to talk, um, talk honestly about it. And if that's yeah. disturbing or triggering, I mean, there's there's um, there's sexual themes going on here. There's violence. There's uh, it's it's a pretty rough section and uh, just a heads up that that's coming. And if you're wondering what's coming, read it first and then decide if you want to continue. Yeah. Okay, so let's get this thing going here. We are starting in chapter 17 of Judges today. We last week we went through uh, the whole story of Samson, which pretty much everybody's familiar with that story. Chapter 17, I frankly found the chapter. The story a little confusing, but and maybe you guys can help me here. I'm going to try to work through the timeline a bit. It sounds to me like this guy named Micah had taken 1,100 shekels of silver from his mother. Okay, wait, wait. I'm going to pause you right there. Okay. Let's let let me let, let's do the story this way. I, I jotted down an outline. Okay. And and see how this sounds. On the surface, just chapter, just uh, chapter seventeen, verses um, one through five. Somebody confesses for doing something wrong. Isn't that wonderful? And then that person is blessed by the person who was wrong, so they're forgiving. Blessed be my son. Then there's restoration. It's a wonderful thing. Then there's a dedication of the of money to the Lord. Awesome so far, right? And then. They make a place for family worship. They say, you know what? As a family, we should worship together. Yes, we should We should uh, do that. They say, you know what? We want to make, let's dress nice for the Lord. Let's just, let's wear our very, very best. In fact, let's have this, something made that's really special that we can make that we'll, that we'll wear that for worship. Awesome. And in the end, it's like, you know what? We should have a special religious ceremony, and we need to make sure somebody's ordained. It's a big deal. We need to make sure that we have the right person serving us because you can't just have you know somebody who's not ordained. I mean, that's a big thing in the world today, right, and in some churches and denominations. And so they ordain somebody to be their minister. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Except it's a train wreck. The whole thing is, is actually awful. So those things happen, but the context in which they happen are bad. So continue with the story, Matt, and let's fill in the blanks as to what that actually means. Yeah. Okay, so Micah takes, at some point, he had taken 1,100 shekels of silver from his mom. That's so much money. Oh, my goodness. Yep. Yeah, when we get to how much he pays the priest later on, you'll, you'll get an idea how, how much money this was. But 1,100 shekels of silver, and he confesses this to his mother. And her her response is basically, oh, well, you could be blessed because I was planning on giving that to you anyway. I don't I don't know that that's the way my mom would react to me for giving back this kind of a fortune that that uh, she thought was just gone, you know, but 
She had to, she says she had dedicated the entire amount to the Lord for her son, specifically to make an idol. Yeah, I left that part out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a so there's the train wreck. I mean, like you said, he he takes he takes a fortune, takes a fortune from his mom. She's like, it's okay. I had it dedicated, and then it just gets wacky from there. Dedicated to the Lord to make an idol. It's like, um, I think there's a disconnect here, Mom. Yeah, this reminds me of um, the the golden calf. The children of Israel say, "Let's make a festival to the Lord. Let's have music. Let's have a potluck, and let's you know, it's all these things that sound good, except God said no." Absolutely no. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so she says, uh, says, so since that was what it was planned for, I'm just going to give it back to you. Thanks, Mom. And he makes this idol, and he puts it up in his house. Then he decides he's going to make himself an ephod, which, if you remember, is the basically the breast, what am I call the breastplate. That's not exactly correct, but that the priesthood would wear. He... he consecrates his son to be priest he ordains him yeah and he or yeah he ordains him i'm not sure what tribe oh ephraim he's in ephraim so he this is not a levite being being consecrated wait hang on where's that part five. in verse five verse five five and one he creates one of his sons to become the priest mm-hmm. you see it oh, yeah. I was ahead. I was in seven, so I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, well, a Levite shows up later, but um, yeah. so I think the key text here, and this is so applicable, and it certainly will be later as we get into our reading. It's uh, chapter 17, verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. I want to point out is that they didn't go out and say, I'm going to do what's wrong. I know this is totally wrong, and I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. Is they had gotten to a point, apparently, where they had ignored what the truth was, they were ignorant of the truth, and if they knew anything about the truth, they didn't actually want to hear more about it. And they're like, I think it's right. Matt, do you think it's right? Tracy, Karen, are we all on this together? And we all nod and say, yeah, okay. And then we say, cool, now that's the right thing. And they did it, and we do this on our own because we get together and we say, yeah, sure, it's all good. And as long as everybody around us says it's all good, then we think that that makes it good. And that's essentially what happened here is they went and all these things that they're doing, by the way, as we read through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers are totally wrong. They shouldn't be worshiping at home. They should be worshiping at the place God specifies. They shouldn't be offering their own sacrifices. That should be the Levites. They shouldn't be, you know, having a, um, a, a, a an, an ephod that was that was specifically uh, set aside for Levites and, and under certain circumstances. And under no circumstances were they to have a graven image. They're doing all these things, and it's all what God said. Don't. And yet they did because in their eyes, it was the right thing. You know, I think we, you know, we kind of just bound forward just a little bit. And and what you said there in the beginning was kind of key is that 
we look at the book of Judges and we know that humans are are taking over this aspect, but that's exactly how the the chapter ends. That's you know in twenty twenty one twenty five. You know what? It's it's almost like a, a disclaimer, if you will, at the end that says, "Listen, there was no king, and they did what they thought was best." And you could see from all the previous readings that it wasn't. It was, you know, chaos at best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and this is a good point to, to, a point to put in here, is that just because it's recorded in the Bible does not mean it's recommended. You know, <laughs> the, the Bible records all kinds of things that were flat out terrible wrong. I mean, we've got David and Bathsheba. David basically frames her husband so that he gets killed in battle, making it essentially murder. And the fact that it's recorded doesn't mean it's recommended. We have Judas's betrayal of Christ. It's recorded, but it doesn't mean it's recommended. We need to make sure that we can kind of separate those things because people will say, oh, here's all these awful things in the Bible. Like, yeah, because it's telling the truth. It's telling what happened. What happens when we rewrite history and we whitewash out the bad parts is we get an incomplete picture of things, of history. We're, we're kind of struggling with this. I mean, we have always to some degree, but we're struggling with that as a nation. It's like, well, wait a minute, how'd that part get left out of history? That's there. And we're the Bible is re- recording some of the nasty stuff that happened, and 17 and 18 is just kind of mind-blowing, baffling, and then it gets just downright awful as we move forward. Well, verse 7 continues on, says that a Levite has left Bethlehem, and he's looking for a place to stay. I don't know why he's leaving Bethlehem. I don't know, you know what, what his motivations are, but he's, uh, he's traveling, and he comes across Micah, and Micah's kind of like, oh, hey, you're a Levite. You want to be my priest? And he offers him 10 shekels a year. Now, you remember how much he took from his mother. Right. <laughs> he took 1,100 shekels from his mother. And he's going to pay this priest ten shekels per year. So, so uh, that is uh, that was quite the lump of change that he took from mom. But he's going to offer him ten shekels a year, a suit of clothes, and his room and board, and and uh, have this guy come be his priest. <laughs> and and Micah resp- he finishes off the chapter finishes off with Micah saying, "Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest." Yep. <clears throat> After he's done everything wrong so far you know he thinks that because he's done this one thing right that it's that things are going to be good Reminds and me that's of, not just him you know there's 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 so much of christendom that deals with this same thing you can substitute in there it's like well and i'm not picking on any particular thing i'm just saying anything that we do that might be a good thing on its own but outside of the context of what god asked us to do isn't right like, oh, look, I'm wearing a crucifix. That means, or, hey, I got a tattoo of a cross. Or, hey, I worship God on the day of the ten, that the Ten Commandments says. Or, hey, I pay tithe. Therefore, I am, you know, I mean, the people who crucified Christ paid tithe. They kept the Sabbath. They were super concerned about kosher. And so just because we're keeping a, a couple of the things that we've found and rejecting everything else, it's a this is a cautionary story. In case you haven't figured that out, this is this is not a this is not a you should do this. This is a oh you guys, you won't believe what these people did. 
um, PS don't do this. Right. Yeah, and this reminded me of, let's see, Luke 3, verse 8. John the Baptist says, um, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. So just because you are you think you're in a right position, because you've got a good position, because you think you've done a couple things good, that don't just immediately assume that uh, that you're good <laughs> and, and uh, ready, to, ready to go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so anyway, he brings in this Levite, and the Levite says, yep, cool, let's do it. He takes on the job. He has this Levite as his idolatrous priest now. So chapter 18, it begins again, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And it says, now, I'm not sure if this is backing up in time a bit, because it says, in those days, the tribe of the Danites was seeking an inheritance for itself to dwell in. For until that day, their inheritance among the tribes of Israel had not fallen to them. So I don't know if this is backing up to um, Joshua's time when he was assigning things and told everybody, go out and get your stuff. Or if maybe this is them trying to expand or exactly what. But at any rate, Dan Dan is on the move. And they've spent some, sent some spies out to Ephraim. Now, that, that, that's, that, that's curious to me why they would send spies into Ephraim. But um, they've got spies sent into Ephraim. And these spies end up staying at Micah's house. And some of them actually recognize this Levite. It says that they recognize his voice. And... He he tells the spies about how Micah has hired him to be there, be the priest there. And he goes on, he tells them that their mission is going to be prosperous. And they ask him about their mission. And he says, well, the, the people you're going to go find in Laish, they're not going to be any threat to you. And so they decide to invade. They send 600 men into the city of Laish. And as I recall, I mean, basically it was like, yeah, no, they're just living there peacefully. There's no problems. And um, how does it put it? It's quiet. And, well, I don't remember exactly. But um, it just sounds like this was just a little peaceful town. And they sent 600 men to invade it. On their way to the city, they, stay, they go into Micah's house. They take his ephod and idols. And they convince the, the Levite to now be their priest. So there's just all kinds of bad going on here i mean this wasn't just micah but now that now the danites are, are falling into this to uh take it, some of the stuff. it started a little different because they went up and they they went to go grab him he's like and, and grab micah's stuff and the priest was like whoa, whoa, whoa hold on what are you doing mm-hmm. and so then in the midst of this they kind of offer him a job and then he's glad and he goes sure i'll take it <laughs> yeah it's read this story and it's hold on yeah it's like, were you, you know, just a temporary thing with Micah? Are you looking at bigger and better things, which sometimes that's isn't it. always the best? That's it. He Because he had a job for one guy, and that's what the Danites say. Like, hey, wouldn't you rather be the priest for a whole right. bunch of us? Because right now, you, you only got one family that you're serving. And he's like, sweet, I get a promotion. And he just like, ditches this other guy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Micah, Micah pursues i mean he finds out his stuff is gone he tries to pursue and essentially he just turns around and goes home because he realizes there's nothing he can do against this huge group of guys and the danites they take laish they set up micah's idol micah's idol and they make somebody else a guy named jonathan a manassite their priest so they just everybody just keeps over and over and over in this thing doing do it just behaving badly just constantly behaving badly. 
Yeah, it's interesting. In, in 20, 20, verse 24, chapter 18, verse 24, is that Micah comes out and is like, hey, what are you doing? And this is just an incredible line. I mean, he just tells on himself. He said, and he said, you took the gods that I made. It's just like he knew this. It was just like, I made a god and you stole it. And it's like, dude, did you do you realize what you're saying? Are you listening mm-hmm. to yourself? <laughs> well, the thing the thing was worth worth uh, uh, more than a lifetime, I think, of uh, of 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 salary. True, it was made out of two hundred pieces of silver. Yeah, so I mean, it, it had a lot of monetary value, and then whatever emotional value he'd attached to it. When in essence, they, you know, you think he probably made off a little bit good because he had eleven hundred pieces, used two hundred. You know what? Maybe that was the the um, thought process when he said, you know what, just go ahead and take it. I'm I'm heading home. There's too many people here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, to your point to your point later, Matt, where where the tribe of Dan, and this is really a sad thing. And it does give us some idea of a timeline. This is in eighteen thirty, and the people of Dan set up the carved image for themselves, and Jonathan, the son of Gershom, the son of Moses. So this is Moses' grandson that they ordain to be their priest. Tells you how far they are gone from this, which is not yeah. very far. Yeah, I guess not. That's basically the end of that story, at least for now. And it, they, They've set up, that chapter ends up, they set up for themselves Micah's carved image, which he made all the time that the house of God was in Shiloh. So it's just, like you say, cautionary tale. doesn't say do this. And, uh, you know, we've gone through, through several several chapters of text before talk God talking against idols and 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 people doing the bad bad things well all of judges all of judges was constantly Israelites turning away from God turning to idolatry and this like this is just a little picture of of kind of how that stuff probably happened okay so for whatever this is worth this is multiple scholars points of view I've got this Bible that has a timeline in it so I've been flipping back and forth listening to you guys talk here, trying to figure out, like, because it sounds like we kind of are jumping back and forth in time. And we know that the Bible isn't all told, like, straight chronology. And then this happened, and then that happened, right? So my, I've got it noted that starting in chapter 17, we're in the year 1406. So if I flip back and I look for 1406... I go all the way back to Judges 2. So Judges 2 and 3 is kind of where that last reference point is. So we did. um, The story of Samson, we get all the way forward to the year 1120, right? So this is a big jump back. Yeah. Almost 300 years. Okay. Anyway, just for whatever that's worth, just for interest's sake. Yeah, no, thanks for that. It's it's an example of how it's very hard to do a strictly chronological reading of the Bible because uh, sometimes when you find a chronological plan, sometimes it's written down according to when it was written. Sometimes it's written down according to how the story plays out. But you find that uh, a lot of times within books, they're bouncing all over the place. It would take a greater scholar than me with a lot more time than I have had to do a strict, strictly chronological reading of the Bible. So you just have to remember the, the Bible writers tended to write in themes, and yeah. and um, chronology was not their strong suit. 
with that, okay, so here's where we get into chapter 19. I'm telling you, the very first time I experienced this story, I could not believe that it was in the Bible. You know, when if, if you're new to the Bible, a lot of people tend to think that it's going to be full of rainbows and unicorns. Not literally, you know. Crosses. Some, rainbows, some, rainbows and crosses. Yeah, yeah. Well, in some translations, have unicorns. <laughs> but uh, I don't. I don't know how accurate that that translation is. But um, it, it it was it was it is just baffling. I mean, it, it is it is amazing how much bad. I say bad behavior. Bad behavior isn't doesn't even really begin to describe it. This is it's an awful story. So the way it goes is you have a Levite who has taken a concubine. This guy he's an he's a Levite living in Ephraim. I don't think it's the same Levite that we were just talking about, but we have a Levite from Ephraim, and he takes a concubine from Bethlehem. As I read it, I think we could, I, at least I read between the lines a little bit here, and think that the marriage probably was, and I say marriage because they talk about father-in-law later here, the union was not very happy, I think. I think it was there was probably a lot going on here bad, because the the concubine leaves she left him she left him she goes back to her father's house now you know my translation says that she played the harlot against him i don't know if that means if she went and cheated on him or just that she was didn't stay faithful to him and went back to her went back to her dad she didn't she didn't stay uh she didn't stay there you know, that's yeah. really my, the point. In esv it in chapter two said and the concubine was unfaithful to him right. and the down there, so in Septuagint, the old Latin is became angry with. Right. Okay. So we don't really know. And I had to look up concubine because I had just figured, you know, this was just a woman on the side. But historically, a concubine was a wife that was a wife that just didn't have status of first wife. Right. Uh, okay. Could be second or third wife or any number of other things. Um, but she was legally married to him, but she just wasn't wife number one. Okay. Yeah, that does clear some stuff up because it, it, it makes things make a little more sense coming going down the road. Well, she leaves. She decides to go back to dad's house. She's been there for four months before her husband then decides to go after her. Seems a little uh, – uh, I don't know. I, I haven't ever been in the position, but it just seems to me like if you if you want somebody back, you decide a little quicker than four months to go after them. I don't know. Their um, whole maybe. relationship is sketchy. Would be putting it kind. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is. <laughs> let's just say this isn't a Hallmark movie. <laughs> My wife has been watching a lot of Hallmark movies lately, and and um, this would not make a good one. <laughs> yeah. This is not one of them. <laughs> yeah. So four months later, he decides to go at to go after her, and he catches up to her at her father's house and he's welcomed into the home. In fact, she brings him in. I guess she's being hospitable. She brings him into the house and uh, dad is actually glad to see him. Now he stays there for five days with the father in at the father-in-law's prodding, I should say, but he doesn't want to stay a sixth night. And um, he's, he's there. He wants to take his wife back with him. I've, I, again, reading between the lines, I've kind of gotten the impression here that dad wasn't real crazy about her going back with him because he's constantly like, no, 
stay, just stay another day, stay another day. And I don't know if he's really enjoying the guys, the Levites company, or if he just doesn't want his daughter to go with him. He just seems very hesitant to allow them to go. See, but, this is where I was, I got a little bit, it started the, okay, what's going on here? Yes. Is that, mm-hmm. okay, it was a lot of back and forth. Did the father actually know what was out there? I don't know. Yeah, but for those of you who haven't read it, there's a lot of verses, which is kind of uncharacteristic of the Old Testament here, of like back and forth, back and forth. There's a whole huge paragraph. The father said, hey, why don't you stay a little bit? And like, okay, we'll stay a little bit. Let's, okay, but now we're going to go. No, 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 please stay a little bit. And he goes back and forth and back and forth. It was just indecision on on paper. You know what I mean? I just kept going back and forth going, okay, so he doesn't want him to go. Okay, does he know what's out there and waiting for them possibly? Well, I, I took I it as I took it as whatever <clears throat> whatever fight they had, right? When she took off and went home and stayed with her dad for four months, whatever fight they had must have been terrible because it resulted in four months of her staying with her dad. So as her dad, is he obligated to release her to the care of her husband? Probably, without some kind of particular line being crossed between the two of them. I I just took it as reticence for her to go back with him and like, hey, maybe as father-in-law I can cultivate some familial goodwill and then things will be a little smoother for my kid when she goes back into his care. That's just kind of how I took it. That was kind of the way I took it too. So the story goes, they, they leave um, in the evening, which is uncharacteristic because usually they want to leave in the morning and cover a lot of ground, but they don't. They Because of their just hanging around, uh, they leave in the evening and they say, well, let's uh, stay in Jabus. But he is saying, no, let's not stay in Jabus because the Jebusites are there because the tribe of Benjamin had left the Jebusites in the middle of their territory. They didn't go after them and kick them out. Now, flashback, in Deuteronomy 20, they were specifically told, by name, you need to remove the Jebusites, among a bunch of other people. Yes. They are to be removed. They will be a terrible influence on you if you leave them. Well, Benjamites didn't do that. They left the Jebusites. And for whatever reason, this... um, Levite says, no, I don't want to stay with the Jebusites because they're pretty bad. And so they move on and they get to, uh, was it Gibba? And this is in the place of the Benjamites. They say, mm-hmm. they just, and I guess this was a tradition. We see this in other stories in the Bible too. Is uh, we, we see this actually um, with the angels that come visit Lot, which is not a story without its parallels here. Right. The angels come into Sodom and stay in the city square, and Lot shows up and says, Oh, don't, don't stay here. This is not a safe place for you. I know this. So some guy shows up and finds the Levite and his concubine just hanging around the uh, city square, and he says, Don't stay here. Really seriously, don't do that. Come with me. So they bring the Levite and his concubine to this uh, host's house, and this is where it turns a sharp corner and falls off a tall cliff. Yeah, it gets real ugly. Some men, in, in my Bible, describe them as perverted men. They come and they surround the house, and they allow 
or they demand to be allowed to gang rape the Levite. They're like, send him out so that we can, the way I put it in here is so we can know him carnally. Right. The man. We need to clarify that. It was the mm-hmm. man they were after first. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the concubine or the woman. But then I, I want to just shift back just really quickly is that you have a place that has this history of it. But like everywhere else, don't forget that there's still good people there. That yeah. maybe it's not everybody that's doing that. The old man goes and says, hey, listen, don't stay here. You got to get out of here. You know what? I feel enough for you. The hospitality is there. You need to come with me. You need to get out of here at this point. Mm-hmm. And they've already paid attention that they were in the little rest stop hospitality center of the, you know, the town square. And they've already been noticed. Right. Well, this is... It just it just doesn't get better here because this Ephraimite man this he was this man was an Ephraimite like the Levite and so he when these men come and demand that they put this Levite man out there for them he says no how does he put it don't do this he, he says I beg you do not act so wickedly and he says here's my virgin daughter and the man's concubine let me bring them out. It says, humble them and do with them as you please, but to this man, do not do such a vile thing. That doesn't sound much better <laughs> to no. me. But um, they they weren't they they didn't sound like they were terribly interested. But then the Levite basically shoves his wife out the door for these guys and says, "Here, take her." And it says. They knew her and abused her all night until morning, until daybreak. So this woman, you know, this Levite shoves his wife out there. She is raped. She is beaten all night long until morning. And when she makes her way back to the house, she dies on the doorstep. I mean, it's just ugly. It's just absolutely ugly. And here's where it really gets nasty for me. When her master arose in the morning, in verse 27, when you're, when he, what? This guy went to bed and slept knowing that his wife was out. Oh, man. (laughs) You know, what I found even worse was, was 28 is when he said to her, get up, let's go. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. No uh, kindness, no mercy, no nothing. It was, come on, get up, let's go. That might be why she left and stayed gone for four it, months. It very that well might be, be why the dad was reticent to let her go. And I mean, this, this, this entire, this entire sequence where he is willing to push her out the door and then he goes to bed without a care for what, you know, that like that whole thing does not reflect well of either a decent human or any kind of a good relationship. No, so. true. Yeah, there's yeah. there's nothing in here that, that says that this Levite was of any value. Through the Just whole thing. because he was a Levite, you yeah. know, we tend to think, oh, well, that was the tribe that was called to be priests. Well, yeah, yes, but they were still humans, and look what yes. we ended up with here. This is not a great dude in any way. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he, so the story goes on. 
if, if possible, it gets worse. Hmm. He takes her home and then he literally takes out a, takes out a knife and cuts her into pieces, her body. Yeah. Well, sends those pieces, one piece to each tribe. And this is the crazy thing. He's like, so look what happened. Look, this is what the, the Benjamites did to her. And what do you want to do about it? It's kind of an, I just think that this, I mean, I've treated furniture better than he treats his wife. Um, and so it's, there it is. It's not recommended that this should happen, but this is what he does. And he sends out the pieces and everybody decides to go to war against the Benjamites. Now, before we go there, the temptation is to read Judges 19 and say, oh, that's so awful. That's so terrible. How could people be so violent and how could people be so sexually perverted? All of those are true. But it tends to get aimed at the people in the, in the past. And I have terrible news for you is that this still happens all the time, except that it is videotaped and it is sold and it is watched by millions and millions and millions of human beings today. The same stuff. The, the porn sites I just happened on because I'm, I'm, um, uh, worked on a project called new freedom to love. And you can look it up online. It is, an, it is a, it is about pornography and why it is not an asset to your life. Basically, you've been sold a lie and there's a better way and there's better sex and there's better relationships and God's way, as the VeggieTales say, is the best way. And we explore that in, uh, and you can find it online at newfreedom2.org, spelled out T-O, love.org, newfreedom2love. In the, in the process of that, I, I directed that process and uh, Karen was the producer for this. We did this several years ago and we had speakers, um, national level speakers come in and do presentations on how basically pornography, uh, short circuits our brains, ruins relationships and how there's a better way. Um, but in the process of researching that, we discovered that there are porn sites, which I'm not going to name here, get more visits than Amazon and Wikipedia and all combined every day. There are hundreds of thousands of uploads monthly. The, 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 the counts that they get are in the millions per day, like tens of millions, if I'm not mistaken, per day content. There is, oh, I believe it was 100,000 hours of porn uploaded every month. Wow. You couldn't watch it if you did it nonstop. You you'd need a team. I think the math worked out to something like you'd need a team of three or four hundred people watching it nonstop, round the clock, for every month of content that's uploaded. And it is exploitive and it is violent. And some of it's acted and some of it isn't. And some of these people are of age and some of them are not. And some of these people are acting on their own and some of these people are trafficked. And my point is, this is happening today. It is happening right now. There are more human beings being trafficked around the world for labor or sex today 
right now than at any point in the history of this planet. Mm. So for us to get high and mighty and look back on Judges 19 and go, oh, those people, they're just so bad. Oh, how could they do such a thing? You know what? It's happening times 100,000 right now. Now, are they all killed? No, absolutely not. Let's be honest about that. But here's the thing. And I'm, this is where it gets frank, folks, is that some of these porn sites now, finally, are being pressured. There's an article in the um, there's there's a, a website and I'm not again again going to tell you, um, but the hosted at the moment one of the leaders in Canada and they're re- they're now they're receiving pressure from um, Canadian legislatures because they can't tell the difference between which of the videos uploaded are actual assaults. They actually had, to, and I'm going to put this down. They actually had to, after years and years and years of pressure, they under their terms of service is you're not allowed to upload pornography that includes dismemberment anymore. Whoa! Let that sink in. And they can't tell which of the videos are actually asphyxiation. They can't tell which ones are actually gang rape. This is real. This is real. It's happening today. There's revenge porn. Somebody takes either on either um, either with um, uh, with consent or without consent, hidden cameras, uh, sex videos of people. And then if that person ever breaks up with them, they use that as blackmail. That happens all the time. And it leads to suicides. It leads to destroyed lives. This is real. And this is happening right now, not in the book of Judges, not in the year 1400 B.C. And so I think along with what you're saying, Eric, too, is that, you know what? You don't have to be dismembered and killed, but these scars run deep and they're absolutely life lasting. Absolutely. You know, it's this is I don't want you to just give up on hope and humanity, but this is a this is a a. A, a rabbit hole that goes all the way down to the heart of hell. Mm. And that exists today. And if you, dear listener, are dabbling with pornography, please know that's where the roots of this exist. They exist in hell. <clears throat> and the part that you may be seeing might look harmless, might seem okay, and you may be able to play with it and not get burned. Maybe. But these, this, this whole thing, like, like cars that, that erupt from this, the, the wounds that exist, best case scenario, are damaging to your personal relationships. And that's not how God made us. Now, Karen worked with a lot, with me on, on this a lot because she was the producer. Because as Karen alluded to at the very beginning, she's a planner. She plans things. She does details. She gets things done. I am not that person. And <laughs> I stink at that. And so I needed Karen's help. And she basically, without her help, this wouldn't happen because I can't follow through and plan in that same way. I would, I would like your perspective on this, Karen, as to, as to how much more like reality this story is now than maybe it was in the past or, or anything related. It's it's appallingly it's appallingly close to reality. <clears throat> um, I, I was involved in that project, and I you know helped do a lot of the background research and sort of scoping out the thing and like how do we address this? And then the more research we did, 
you know, this was, this was Eric's brainchild and, and it started with a single story of yeah. impact. And then it just, and then the more research we did, it was like, oh my gosh, is there any end? It just keeps going. And there's, there's something that they say in the, in the sex therapy field, which is, it's a little bit tongue in cheek. It's, it's meant to be funny, but when, when it, when somebody gets off the rails and follows these inclinations and allows them to train the human, right? Instead of the human maintaining them, their own boundaries, there's this thing that they say, it's like, well, it's only kinky the first time, right? And so that, and that's the entire, one of the, one of the biggest things that I learned about the, about pornography and why it is so successful is that it feeds on people's craving for novelty, right? Which, and this is, is it good that we're curious about the world? Yes. Is it good that we want to learn things and see new things and that we're interested in them? Yes. When you apply it to something like this, though, it turns into a nasty inclination. And for those who have issues with addictive or progressive type personalities, it ends up ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. And you end up with just these awful things. Yeah. Now, when I read this story... I, I notice, of, of course, of course, as a modern woman, I notice the patriarchal, like, how you treat my male guest matters, but my virgin daughter is fair game, right? Of course, I notice that. And of course, I notice that the, the Levite himself is perfectly willing to push her out the door and go to sleep and then just tell her to get up in the morning, like, just come on, let's go. But but the thing that the thing that jumps out to me now... The Levite actually makes an effort to do the right thing in a weird, weird, backhanded, singular focus way. And that is, we've got Sodom and Gomorrah. This is Father Abraham's cousin. Every Israelite knows that story. Sodom and Gomorrah were the epitome of evil such that they were intended to be destroyed. And so when the Levite sends out the pieces parts of his wife and he sends them out to everyone, he says... Like, look what's happened in Israel. We have to do something. Look what's happened to Israel. Israel, okay, so they bypassed Jerusalem, which at the time when the when the Levite and his concubine were traveling, they bypassed Jerusalem, which at the time was not under Israelite rule because they did not want to stay with people who weren't Israelites. Like they wanted to be safe. They wanted to, everybody speaking the same language. The rules of hospitality are known and understood, right? So they traveled past Jerusalem to a different city in order to be able to stay with Israelites. And what they found was a reenactment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And unfortunately that included the, the evil tendencies and, and, open proclivities like open proclivities like these men are traveling in herds looking for victims like i kid you not like this is gross so not only that but then like the complete disregard of the men in the household for the women in the household like no only my only so only the sullying of my person is what matters here this is fair game right like this is this is so disconnected from any form of morality or civility that it's just sickening all right and so somewhere along the line the israelites realize that the tribe of benjamin or pieces of parts of them have descended to the level of the sodomites and war ensues 
Now, is that a good realization? Yeah, that's absolutely a good realization. Is every step of how that realization came about revolting? Yes, it absolutely is. You know, I think it's also key to mention that even though he feels like it's all Israel, I think we have to look at him as well. Oh, yeah. That that he dropped down to this level because he doesn't give – sure, he goes and hacks her up and sends her to all the different tribes, but the the thing of the matter is – he didn't throw in there how he was treating her already and how he offered her up. Yeah. You know, and then I had to go back and I had to think, okay, so what was the whole meaning of hacking her up into these 12 pieces? But then I had to fast forward it into our technical age. This is like taking a, a picture of it and sending it yes. to your, you yes. know, to the higher ups, basically. He didn't have that luxury at this point because I'm thinking, how can he really show the abuse of this person in pieces? Yep. You know, is it, you know, you take the arm because it's bruised. Well, it has to travel miles and miles. It's not going to look anything near what it what you saw. Mm. You know, but I think it also goes not by the whole, but by the individual too. And while he was so upfront to show, look how bad it's become. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you might have forgot exactly, you know, what the you know, the the beginning to this or what your part in this was also. Very much so. Yeah, and to that point, as we move into 20, what's really interesting is is that when the Israelites show up, basically we're going to summarize here, is they show up to Benjamin and go, hey, we're going to call you on this. Send out these people. Okay, so they they do make a call and say, hey, send out these people who did this. In force. Was it a 400K? Yeah, 400,000 men. And the Benjamites are like, no, they're us. Like, we're all in this together. So they, they basically say, no, you're, you're not going to just call these particular people out. They're all part of us. So what they do at that point is they say, yeah, we're in it with them. It was almost like the, you know, the 400K are standing there calling them out. And that one, you know, that one person on the Benjamin Benjamite side is like, they're saying, are you for us with what we're going to, you know, what we're trying to do and trying to call you on? Or are you against us? And it was like blatant. We're against you. Yeah. Yeah. In 13. Now, therefore, give up the men, the worthless fellows of Gibeah, that we may put them to death and purge the Israel of this of this evil. But the Benjamites would not listen to the voice of their brothers, the people of Israel. Then the Benjamites basically what ends up happening is the Benjamites fight and kill a bunch of Israelites, and then the Israelites attack the Benjamites, and then the Benjamites attack the Israelites, and it's got all the numbers in here about how they camp out, and the Benjamites are pretty good warriors, and nope. they go back and forth. In and small they, numbers, they said they were like experts. So yeah. yeah, they hacked down the Israelites, like, what was it, three days? Three yeah. straight times? Yeah. 28K a day, somewhere around there, you know, a few places. 18,000 one day, 22,000 another day. They, but you know what I noticed is that the Israelites kept praying about it. Okay, God, do we go up? Do we go up again? Because, you know, we just got it handed to us today and we lost a lot of people. Nope, go up. I wonder if in that there wasn't some punishment for the Israelites, some mm-hmm. culpability. It's like, look, yeah. seriously, you let it get this bad? You, yeah, we're not, this, this, isn't a, this isn't just a command Z undo thing. So let's see. Bethlehem is in Judah. Is that right? Judah. Who whose territory was Bethlehem? I believe anyway, it was Judah. 
Yeah, I think so. So, like, there's there's several tribes involved. Like, obviously, there's corruption in the Levite tribe. Obviously, there's corrupt. Obviously, there's corruption in the Benjamite tribe. But but all of all of Israel tolerated this. Like, this is a state yeah. of being. So, whatever you know, you think of this as a small group of dudes. No, the whole tribe stood up to defend them. Yeah. And like, this is this is this to me was kind of like I thought of the Civil War yep. when I was reading through this. I was thinking like. It starts over one issue, but it becomes this polarizing force and it and it distills people's ideas like the hacking the way through it distills people's ideas. Do we tolerate this or not? And and in and in what form and what are our lines and who is allowed to cross them? You know, this kind of thing, like how stretchy do people's boundaries get as a society? And when you've bent this far. You know, something's got to something's got to snap that back into place. So, yes, I, I did the same thing. I read all of the huge losses over the first two days of battle on the Israelite side. And I thought the same thing. I thought, mm, yeah, mm, there's punishment all the way around here. But then I think it goes to how willing were they to overlook what was going on? They knew what was going on. Yeah. Exactly. And they overlooked it basically just because, OK, you're a Benjamite, too. OK, we're going to stick with you no matter what you're doing, even if it's wrong. And we, and we continue to see that throughout history. You know, how many people are misled, even though they do know it's wrong? Yep. You know what? Mm-hmm. It's for the sake of who they are, what they do, their position, their status in life. Okay, we'll just overlook it. Yep. Even though yeah. it's wrong, even though we've seen it, that it's wrong, we'll still say, okay, we'll, we'll let it slide. Yeah, it's amazing. And in verse in chapter twenty one, three. So basically, what's what's happening? The, the short story here is they basically wipe out the Benjamites. There's almost none of them left at all. And in verse chapter twenty one, verse three, and they said, "O Lord of God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel?" They're they're talking about the Benjamites being wiped out as if they actually can't figure out how they got to this point. It's because you didn't do A that he told you. You didn't do B. You didn't do C. He told you not to do D, E, and F, and you did those things. Like, that's why you're in this mess. You know, and I think sometimes it becomes when you get to that point and you're rationing out the judgment, can you get overzealous about it? Yeah. And forget some of the... The, the small nuances of what's going on, like, oh, yeah, go in there and kill everybody. And then all of a sudden they were thinking, okay, guys, listen, we just said that we wouldn't let any Benjamite marry any of our daughters. Now what? Right. <laughs> yeah, like we talked about Jephthah's vow, like, well, oh, I say this rash thing. And then, well, wait a minute, maybe that wasn't a smart thing. Exactly. Now mm-hmm. it's like, okay, what do we do? And in the end, it's it's no better. No, no. Okay, go up in Shiloh and, and just grab yourself a woman. <laughs> well, no. Wait, wait, those are still Israelites. I know, but you're not really freely giving them. They're taking them. Okay. Yeah. How did that help, guys? I know. Yeah. And I'm not laughing because I think it's funny. I mean, this is not a funny ha-ha. It's just like a laugh out of how else do you how – do how, do how do you react – to this kind of thing, you know, that's, utter that's, chaos and confusion. Is yeah. that the only? Oh, yeah. this has gone from bad to worse. The only worse way that worse. makes sense is it's mentioned again and again throughout the book, and the and the the book ends with this: in the in those days, there was no king in Israel. 
I, Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's the only explanation. And you yourself can make the judgment that it didn't go over well. Yeah, no, these are not recommended. Um, yeah. These aren't like, hey, here's a paint by numbers, what you should do. It's kind of like, well, when you do what's right in your own eyes, here's just a couple stories of how things go. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well in, in any any sense of the word. And uh, no, this is this was a stark stark reminder that like I started at the beginning the Bible isn't full of rainbows and and uh, <laughs> rainbows and unicorns it paints a pretty ugly picture of humanity and how low we can go when we just rely on our own thoughts rely on our own uh, sensibilities for what we think is right what we think is good you cannot judge good by consensus you can't judge you definitely can't judge good in a vacuum the only way we can judge good is by comparing what we might think to what god has specifically said and absolutely and you find nowhere in this story until the until the israelites decide to attack benjamin you find nowhere in this story in anything we read today where anybody asks god what to do how they should do it and it just it was just awful it was dark it was it was disturbing and one bad thing led to another to the point where a an, almost an entire society was completely wiped out because of one ultimately one guy's bad decision his bad relationship with his wife you know, but yeah. then it makes me almost wonder if we if we can go back systematically and with each episode, could we have could we have foregone the entire thing? Maybe if if the father in law would have said, you know what, listen, guys, how about we do you know prayer? How about in other people? How about we seek God's counsel on this and restore your relationship here? Could that have changed the whole trajectory of this? vile story that we just read it certainly maybe. wouldn't have hurt maybe and this this i was reading in james and it's interesting that karen picked some verses out of uh james four and i thought oh she's gonna read the verse i had marked hmm. um hers were a little different but and this has become so obvious as we read the old testament as we read these stories also as i see in 2020 a, a way that i have never seen before this is in james four Verse three, verse four, he says, you adulterous people. Interesting here, isn't it? It's like, it's the same story. This is just rewind, repeat, you know, rewind, play, rewind, play, rewind, play. So there they are in the book of James. Here they are in Judges. Here we are in 2020. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And I've got to admit, when I was a younger man, I thought, what's the big deal? I mean, the world, yeah, it's got some good, it's got some bad, but it's not that out of line with where God is. And I think that result, my, conclu my wrong conclusion at that point was based on not a very good understanding of who God is and 
not a very good idea of what the world's consensus is. And as I see both of those things play out in contrast to each other, I'm realizing more and more, yeah, they're not the same. God's kingdom is a different way. God's economy is a different economy. God's idea of grace and forgiveness is different than ours, and so on. And when it when we get a really fine point on it and we see an example of how the world's way shows up, oh, here it is. We just read it and talked about it today. It's not pretty. Yeah, and the whole book of Judges ends verse twenty five. It's like it's like this final this final uh this final shot to remind you in those days, there was no King in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So after all that, all these stories we've read about the different judges and the cycles of doing bad, getting restored, doing bad, getting restored, doing bad, getting restored. It all goes back to this because everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. I heard that referred to as having I eye problems anytime anytime you're you're looking at things of a spiritual nature you know i guess probably maybe even just looking into how we we look at society every time you start thinking i think i think i think not that it's bad to have opinions but when your opinions become your basis for i mean like your your be all end all basis for decisions and and uh and, and actions it, it can be a problem. Yeah, it's setting your comfort. I mean, and today, I mean, again, this is not new. Is look inside yourself and decide where you go. Be your own compass is another way to think about that. Mm-hmm. And we are looking at the book of Judges, and it says, and this is what happened when everybody became their own compass. Yeah, definitely. Well, Eric, before we go, do you want to share that website again? Yeah, it is New Freedom to love.org it's all spelled out no no numerals and the reason that we named it new freedom to love is because there is a better way this isn't all anti-porn we should ban this we should boycott we should have legal it's none of that is what's the best way and what have you been sold as a counterfeit that is actually stealing what it promises to deliver and so, so it's kind of a revelation of that and even if you don't uh struggle with pornography, you should do this because we live in a pornified culture. Somebody you know, I promise you, I don't care where you're listening to this, somebody you know who is being held prisoner by porn. Now, that might not be you thinking, oh, it's the victim. It's the person who's who's being uh, exploited on camera. Maybe, but not likely. The kind of prisoner I'm talking about is the person who can't get away from it. They keep clicking impulsively because realistically, this is a part of it is a chemical addiction in the brain. This isn't just willpower. This actually rewires your brain chemically. The good news is that's not the end of the story. There can be recovery. And even and you need to minister to people around you. There are people around you who are struggling with this, and this is an opportunity for you to minister and help other people, basically to free slaves. Um, because if you're a slave to the mouse and to the screen, you're a slave. And there's a better way for better relationships, and God wants that for you. And I learned things about good and healthy relationships um, by listening to the other speakers present things. I was like, wow, wish I'd have known that a long time ago. That's really good. Um, so I'd encourage you to check it out. It's a real thing. 
and your life can be better without porn, but with with what God intends for you. Real, genuine, healthy relationships. It's better. Yeah, it was a that was a big project. Yes, it was. <laughs> it was two years in the making, uh, actually closer to three. So if you're wondering if this is like just a video, it's not. It's five different speakers with behind the scenes things, with uh, social media commercials, with worksheets and and other links and so on. It's it's a full like it's a full production, and uh, the reason is because this is so prevalent in our society. We live in a pornified society, and I would wager to say. That's why we ended up with the story that we do in Judges uh, 19, 20, 21 is because it had become so normalized in their culture that they didn't really even realize how bad it had gotten until it got that bad. And somebody stood up and said, hey, this is where we are. And everybody says, whoa, whoa, how did we get here? It's because it goes all the way back. They didn't obey what they were told to do in Deuteronomy 20. They lived with sin and debauchery in their midst. It became normalized. Over time, they adopted it, and it became part of who they were. It became normalized, and then it became defended. Hey, who are you guys to show up and say that that our people did wrong? There are people. And so that's what happens. It's a progression, um, and we live in a pornified culture, and the repercussions of that are here today. And I don't know where we are in the story if we put our society here, but friends— we're not that much better. Okay. Well, with that, I think we will end today's discussion. It was deep. It was <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there, man. Yeah. Uh, next week, we will study the entire book of Ruth. It's just a short little book, and I will be looking forward to studying this because there's, there's bits of it that I, I know a lot of people really love this story and I kind of get parts of it, and there's other parts of it I'm, I'm like, mm, I don't know. So uh, I think uh, I think it'll be a good discussion. So next week, uh, yeah, read ahead. Read the entire book of Ruth. It's only a couple of pages long, four chapters, and we will carry on there next week. While you're waiting for that, be sure to reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Find us on Facebook. I will put a link for that website up on Facebook. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors. And be sure to subscribe to us so that you reach us so that we can reach you each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.